Hey, everybody. That's right. We're not done. There is more to this list, and hopefully you're back with us to listen to part three of our Game of the Year feature chat, chitty chat, with uh, some of the wonderful folks who've uh, toughed this out with me. Uh, we have Caitlin 3 Podcast Argyros coming back. Yes, this is my third podcast this weekend. I am podcast queen, I guess? I don't know. You get the title for this weekend at the very least. Yeah. And uh, I also have Peter Treisenberg coming back, our uh, only um, panelist who has been on all three feature episodes aside from myself. So thank you, Peter, for sticking them out. I mean, it was a close call because I literally just woke up, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we almost lost you to a nap. We almost lost you to your mom. Uh, But uh, you squeaked by and managed to get on all three episodes. And then finally, uh, John O'Logan has uh, figured out all life scheduling conflicts, has made it back from his parents and the skosh. Uh, John O'Logan, thanks for coming back on. Thank you. I'm going to be totally lost. I missed the second part. I have no idea what's happening. (laughs) We are talking about the best parts of video games. So we've mostly gone through all the major category stuff, and we just dipped into the elements. If I was structuring things properly or wasn't such a panic to get through things, I probably should have just put all the elements in this episode, but whatever. So we're talking about the nitty-gritty bitty parts that make up all the uh, 2019's best. So like our protagonists, the game elements of like sound and combat and stuff. So we wrapped up last episode talking about combat, and now we're moving on down the list. Cool. Oh, this means that I don't get another opportunity to bitch about Romancing Saga 3, right? Uh, yeah, you might still have an opportunity because we might talk about fan uh, favorite stuff at the very end of the episode. So... Oh, good. <laughs> But we did bring it up last episode, and we're like, well, it's a good thing John was not here, because this would be a much longer discussion. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Either way, so kicking things off here, we've got our best visuals. The winner was Indivisible. Uh, I wanted that game so badly. I still haven't got it yet, but uh, Elena did our review and spoke highly of it. And it's the visual style just drew me right in immediately back when it was being teased and it was in development, and they've done everything with this incredible hand-drawn style i i don't see what isn't to love about the um, outstanding look of this game and we've had a lot of great design work this year so seeing something like this that they've put so much love into making all of the uh the stylization all by hand it's just uh, it's fantastic have any of you three played indivisible i haven't i'm afraid yeah no i haven't either um it looks cool though I have not either. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just Atlanta. I think we're all uh, missing the boat on this one, unfortunately. But yeah, I agree with Peter. It looks cool, as I said. Uh, Peter, what has been attracting you to it? I don't know. I just like like you said, I, I, a lot of review. A lot of the games I, that normally wouldn't be on my radar, uh, I find out about from our reviews, and I think people's interest in them is so infectious that I kind of want to try them anyway. So I know Alana's review was really positive, and it was like, okay, I'm going to add that to my list, even though I really was not paying attention to this game before then. So well, exactly. Like Lab Zero just comes out and swinging with like this gorgeous game that um, also kind of feels like uh, like a Valkyrie profile in the way it's kind of fighting style. Yeah, is. the combat kind of reminds me of Valkyrie profile, which I have not played. But Caitlin, you have, have you not? Oh, once a long, long time ago, and I never, I never finished it. But I. I, re- I remember that kind of distinctive um, combat where you, you, you control c- individual characters with face buttons and it's all kind of a side-scroller kind of uh, 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 a graphic style. So this was, this was way back in the days, yeah. back 
This was back during the I rented video games from Blockbuster Day, I think. <laughs> As we spoke of last episode, the uh, the best way to take a demo home. But Indivisible, like it needs to have fluid animation for having such a high in high energy, I guess, combat. Like uh, there's a lot going on, and the fact that they hand drew all the models and all the animations to get such fluid, stunning motion. And I mean, it's the pedigree they come from too, having done something like Skullgirls. So they're clearly familiar with having nice, fluid-looking combat with stunning visuals. And the whole game is just beautiful and vibrant as well. And it's great location details that it almost looks like a beat 'em up on like the arcade. But uh, yeah, the the elements that bring it into the RPG world make it a traditional RPG, and it just looks fantastic. Uh, is this everyone on your radar, Jota? Yeah, I love a good Metroidvania. Um, and I certainly love, I certainly love one that looks like this. Um, beautiful. Uh, the, the character portraits are also gorgeous. Um, it just looks like an amazing game. It's yeah. It's on my, my 2020 backlog of, uh, I need to get to this because I'm sad. I just didn't have the budget for it out the gate. And, uh, obviously with such a big backlog as it is, there was no point in getting into it. So sorely one that we've all missed, but it sounds like it's one we are all definitely interested in. But uh, I know uh, the next one, the the runner-up, is just probably not worth bringing up if we just want to do right by Mike Solosi, and we can just move on. Um, on to <laughs> <laughs> getting our runner-up. Okay. okay, y'all, Mike's not here, so get ready. <laughs> okay, y'all. <laughs> Nothing can save you now. <laughs> the next hour and 15 minutes will be devoted to um, Peter Treisenberg's thesis on why Kingdom Hearts 3 is great and explaining what it means that Aqua got norted. No, we already did a two-hour no. <laughs> podcast about that like, when the game came out. But it has fantastic visuals. I mean, we all saw that in the, the teasers that were leading up to it. it. It's like just pulling right out of Disney, right out of everything. And, and like that's where they clearly showed so much of the polish and the effort that was put into the wait for this game. So, oh, yeah, uh, it's Peter, beautiful. you dove in. Mm-hmm. Sure did. Um, yeah, no, I think apparently one of the reasons why it took so long for three to come out is because, like, like you mentioned, that attention to detail, they had to send every asset back to Disney for approval. Apparently, like that sounds about right. Yeah, so like they were the were gone are the days when Kingdom Hearts was kind of the scrappy, weird. Well, two guys literally met in an elevator and were, and, and were like, "Hey, we should collab," and then uh, a video game was born. Now it's to this now you have these two multi-million dollar corporations and it's a major franchise all its own and they have to get all these film rights sorted out and apparently it was just a big mess but um as i can imagine yeah yeah for real but like so that there's a reason that there's reasons like why some of the frozen stuff especially feels kind of scattered i feel like it was because they literally were just told no you can't do that (laughs) um (laughs) well yeah because you're dealing with a lot of children's uh viewpoints of these films and and you can only do so much with the seriousness of the story and wrapping it into the the heartless world right yeah it's one of the it's one of those things where like some some of the kingdom hearts worlds they do a really good job of um incorporating them into the the universe and like like what they do with the toy story world is legitimately clever but um uh then then there's cases like frozen where you know we pretty much just follow the plot of the movie um from the sidelines and you do get to hear let it go in its entirety again so enjoy um <laughs> eh, at least it's performed well yes this is and they got the whole voice cast and everything um which is impressive but no like just on back on visuals though like just yeah aside from just the detail in the environments like 
there's a lot of love in just Sora's animations, his attack, um, his attacks, like um, the magic spells all interact with the environment, like fire leaves behind a trail of scorched, um, like sc- scorched in terrain. And it's like a notable upgrade from the PS2 era, obviously, not simply just because it's a more powerful machine, but like, yeah, they they embellished everything more. And two was a great looking game, too. Yeah, I no, definitely for its time, and uh, and three three continues just like visually, it just excels. It looks really good. And I think my favorite aspect of the the Disney visuals, so to speak, is how they reinterpret Sora into each world. So, like you said, like the cleverness of making him into a toy for Toy Story, mm-hmm. and each of the different transformations. Like I loved, you know, seeing him turn into a mer person, and, uh, and becomes a lion too, doesn't he? Yeah, it's in Kingdom Hearts too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've done that. They've been. It's always fun seeing how they do that, and um, like he becomes a. He has a little monster form for um, Monsters Incorporated. Right, exactly. No, it changes color with the Keyblade transformation. So I, I got. Oh, I, I got the ultim the Ultima weapon, and I went to the Monsters Inc. world, and yeah, Sora's fur turns like white, and it's like it, it's cool. Like oh, that's it's neat. Little attention to detail. That's pretty cool. And that's the other thing, too, is like seeing the Keyblades, like those designs. And again, they're interpreting the world into this weapon design is really fascinating as mm-hmm. well. And the Keyblades can all transform and have all these different, like varied attack patterns. Um, you can have three equipped at one time now. So you get a lot of variety and visual flair in combat. Oh, yeah, exactly. I can't talk Kingdom Hearts 3 up enough. Like, I really enjoyed that game. The DLC is out in like 10 days as of this recording, and I'm just like freaking out. <laughs> How was the enemy design on this one? I mean, I don't remember there being a ton of variety back in the day. But, um, uh, there... Well, there was, but the interpreting, I guess, of the the world stuff into the no hearts. But you get a, you get you get a lot of um you get a lot of recycled um heartless designs um a lot of original nobody designs basically any um any organization member that didn't have one um have their own designated nobody class gets a new design and they're pretty cool um. And then a lot of each of the worlds have their own themed heartless. So there's like reindeer and stuff in the right. frozen world. Um, Tangled has a lot of like flower themed heartless. Um, big the big hero six world is really fun because you like you're running around this big urban environment and all the enemies are like robots and stuff. Oh, that would be pretty dope. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, the, um, did did you has anyone else has anyone else played Kingdom Hearts three on on the show? Uh, no, afraid not. I actually haven't played any of the Kingdom Hearts games. Ooh. I have only played Kingdom Hearts 1. They, they've, made, they've made it easier to catch up with now that they have, like, the collection. And the this whole series is, like, bundled together on PSN. Well, Max just picked it up for pretty cheap, and he's been going through it. And talking about how yeah, he's right. aged it, he's like, it's, I think he said it's the least fun game he's had the most fun with. Like, he's he's baffled by how much he's enjoying it, despite how clunky it is. Yeah, Kingdom Kingdom Hearts One is like the best bad game because like it, it they get they I love it a lot, but it's um they've really improved on it in future iterations. But no, like one of the things they do for um the Big Hero Six world is the uh uh the Baymax from the end of that movie gets turned the the one who was left behind gets turned into a heartless. Um, oh, so that's they a actually nice twist. Con- they continue off of the plot of the movie in a really interesting way. That was one of the worlds where they actually kind of um work it in. Um, to the main story, it was really cool. That would be I'm rad. Surprised they haven't, I'm surprised they haven't done more with that IP. I love. Yeah, that I am film. too. I that think there's gonna be more. Right. I can't. I'm fairly certain they are working on a, uh, a sequel film. That'd be it good. better be. 
Yeah, it was great, and it gets me right in the feels every single time. Uh, Jono, uh, if you could adventure around in any Disney world, which would it be? In any Disney world? Honestly, the uh, 100-acre wood. Oh, <laughs> oh you're, I not have some, look, you're not going to realize that they did 100-acre wood in this game. <laughs> probably not. I have some really solid memories of playing uh, the many, or was it the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh on Commodore 64 with my grandfather <laughs> as a kid. Like one of the very early adventure games. Actually, that the most magical. the earliest adventure game I ever played. So I have a real fondness for Winnie the Pooh. And Caitlin, same question? Any Disney World. This is kind of hard. Um, can I, can it be from a cart? It doesn't have to be from a movie? No, anything that Disney has done, like with their, its beloved characters, however. I don't know. Um, see, I'm trying to go through the catalog of movies that I've seen. Because I, like, my, my default is to say, oh, what, the world of my favorite movie. But, like, I don't know that I necessarily want to be in that world <laughs> well which one is that uh these days i usually think it's tangled why wouldn't you want to be in the world of tangled well it's pretty and nice but um i don't know we don't really see a whole lot of that world we see a forest and and a city so yeah and it's a lovely city it is a fun level i don't i i i, I don't know it's really hard for me to decide it's okay. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that I want to be in any of those worlds, per se. I just like seeing them. That's totally fair. But I do like your Tangled answer either way. So, I feel like Treasure, I feel like Treasure Planet needs more love. Yeah, I would love to play around in Treasure Planet. That, that was be a, a better movie than people, I think, give it credit for. Right? Yeah, no, like It bombed horribly, but like, it is one, it's a great... I think it's a under, really underrated Disney movie. Yeah, it did a fantastic job, in my opinion, of interpreting that into its sci-fi world. It was mm-hmm. super fun romp. It's, I think, one of the last films with Tony J on it, too, who uh, yeah, did I the narrating, so. and I love Tony J's voice so much. I miss yeah. his voice work. Disney, if you're going to remake stuff, remake stuff that actually could use a second chance. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that actually would be cool, seeing a live-action version of that. I feel like that would translate very well into the Disney physical stuff they're doing these days. Yeah, I mean, they got the Star Wars license, just do Star Wars, but with pirates, more pirate stuff. <laughs> Atlantis would also be a good uh, a good option for a live-action remake. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it got a, did Atlantis get a world? No, no, they haven't done that yet. That's one I would love to see. It's one of my favorite low-key movies yeah. as well in Disney, and I think that's a world I would love to be around in, that the whole cool steampunky yeah. kind of vibe. I know everyone wants them to do uh, Star Wars and Avengers, but I don't see that happening. I think those IPs might be too valuable plus they have more other companies that are all tied up in that it would get really muddled it seems like yeah no no, thank you if you do a star wars level in kingdom hearts does that mean ea has to be involved somehow because they have like exclusive video game rights and like yeah suddenly we're going down a pretty deep rabbit hole (laughs) it'd just be really funny if you get to like the entrance to that world and then suddenly it comes up that like you need to go to like the origin store to buy it and uh, then you can't (laughs) get access (laughs) Oh God! I think you've just. This is. I think this is my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, this is where we've gotten to. I think it's time to move on to the next category. But both of these games do look absolutely gorgeous. And if you're one of those people that just play these games for looks, you're not going to go wrong with either of these. Actually, uh, I, there's. Actually, can I say something about Kingdom Hearts Three? No, fact, no, of course you can. No, despite <laughs> the fact that I'm, I haven't, I haven't played it, uh, but I'm a huge music theater nerd. So, out of curiosity, I, I watched a side by side of. Uh, of uh, let it go with uh, the actual film and the and the graphics from Kingdom Hearts three and they did a ridiculously amazing job of it looks damn near perfect 
except it's done in engine. And I think that that's just re- that's very impressive for the developers. It is pretty impressive. Oh yeah, like I, like I'm 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 not sure 100 sure it was like necessary to include the whole song again, but like it is for as far as like imitating the movie's style, they do a pretty solid job. I'm pretty sure that if Disney had the opportunity, they would put "Let It Go" in every piece of media they release. <laughs> God, I was surprised. They'd, I was surprised there wasn't really a reprise of it in Frozen Two. <laughs> Honestly, put it in Rise of Skywalker. Could it make it any worse? Mm. <laughs> no, not. Really. <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I don't know if you want to ask that question because that's a whole other conversation. That would be now. <laughs> and uh, to get us back on there, um, how does uh, the team at Final Fantasy XIV keep finding quality people to keep making every part of that game so quality? Uh, that's the segue I'm going with, but whatever. We're turning this podcast back on track um, with our best music and or sound design. And Shadowbringers was the winner. And Caitlin, you wrote about that one. Um, but just to step back for a second, like that game sounds great in every aspect, both from the sound design and the music. And I mean, you've all been extolling the virtues of the music for years since it launched. But it is, again, it's it's nice to listen to. It's very satisfying. It's um, it's sound effect roster as well with so many spells and uh, the voice work, the footsteps, attacks, all that stuff. Like the game is beautifully crafted from the ground up to make the whole world very cohesive and sound fantastic. Uh, well, yes, I, I concur. Um, I will admit that I voted for it for music more than sound design. Not that the sound design isn't good in the game, but just because usually... With with this category, uh, my 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 uh, my criteria is always about soundtrack more than than sound design. So that's that's why I voted, and I'm I'm I'd imagine the vast majority of people were voting were voting for it based on the soundtrack, well, of which it absolutely deserves to win purely on that alone. And music would always overshadow, and it's always hard to think of. It's why it's almost like needs two separate categories. But anyways, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, go off. I think we talked about that at one point, and. I I think we put it into one category because we were concerned about how how many people are paying close enough attention to the sound design to really be able to feel comfortable voting for sound design if it were a category separate from music. I think we just we we figured it would be easier to have them as one category because that way you know, you may not necessarily always be paying attention to sound effects and, and things like that, but you, you're probably listening to music and that can make it easier to make a decision about what kind of, what game should win that award. So it's valid, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Shadowbringers, I've, I keep saying, you know, like, uh, my bar was always Heavensward and Shadowbringers, uh, certainly exceeds that. And it's the same is true for the music. Like, um, just just like with the game itself, I didn't really think that the music in Stormblood reached the the sort of the high peak that uh, that Silken brought it to in Heavensward, but Shadowbringers really kind of brought it back to that same level. And there's some fantastic music on here. The main theme itself, well, it's a kick-ass main theme. If you've seen the uh, the the trailer, the full trailer, CG trailer before uh, Shadowbringers launched, you'd, that's the main theme, and, and it's appropriately just titled Shadowbringers. That, um, that- trailer is amazing totally it's aside. like <laughs> an awesome trailer yeah i love it like uh, i've been, it showing, it, I've been showing it to people yeah no i've been showing it to people like out of context just like, no 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 no. you have to watch this <laughs> yeah but it's it's interesting too because this is the first uh the first main theme for an expansion that hasn't featured a song sung by susan calloway or, or composed by nobu oyamatsu um, so it's kind of an interesting departure and yet it still manages to, 
be it's a great addition that still manages to you know be up there with the previous main theme vocal songs from the previous expansions and you know in true form it gets used as sort of the the basis for all the different uh various different themes throughout the game so variations on that main vocal theme are used for like the the boss battles and dungeons that's used in some some cutscene music uh used in various different ways uh some one of my favorite tracks in the entire game all of the expansions uh up to date is uh uh, version of that theme that's used in some of the uh, the action sequences in the game, where you have to you go into a, a single player instance and you you deal with some combat situations and whatnot. It's a really good kind of upbeat uh, version of that theme. So it's just it's and that's something that Soken has always been really good at is taking a theme and using it in different ways for different purposes in in combat in cutscenes as the main theme of the expansion. So he's just really good at that, and this is kind of like, this is peak Soken. Um, Doesn't mean that he can't, you know, exceed this in a future expansion. I very, you know, much am looking forward to that, but he's, he's... for what for what you know he does in Final Fantasy fourteen, he is like at the top of his form, and I cannot wait to see more from him. And I would always love for him to do you know like single player games or other RPGs. I I very much look forward to that once fourteen is done though, because he does a lot of work. Yeah, no kidding. For fourteen, I don't. I would not want him to do something else in addition to this unless it, he felt he could handle it. Because like. The amount of work, the amount of tracks that he has to to either compose or arrange or both, um, you know, even just on a patch basis is, uh, it's sta- staggering. Yeah, there's just, there's so much music to consume in the amount of albums that get released. Uh, yeah, even when uh, Shadowbringers was released, I remember you chopping at the bit to get the soundtrack for it. Because that came a few months later, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, it stands to reason that, yeah, you'd be backing this horse, of course. Yeah, we actually got the soundtrack sooner than I was expecting. Um, that so that was that was that was amazing. It came. It, it did come out like just a few months after uh, the main patch was released. So that was good because having to wait for months on end for the soundtrack sometimes is is a very it's it's very painful. <laughs> Waiting is painful in general, but uh, patience is a virtue, as they say. Do you find the soundtrack stands on its own out of context very well? Oh yeah, I would I would say so. Um, I I, t- I tend to find soundtracks a lot of soundtracks tend to to stand up on their own outside of the context of the game. Um, there's just so much music here too. So like even even if some of the tracks don't necessarily work for you out of the context, there's there's so much to, to you know so many other tracks to to listen to that I don't I would imagine you know even if you've never played. Final Fantasy fourteen, or even if you've never played a Final Fantasy, that someone could listen to this soundtrack and find a lot that they would love about it. And maybe, I mean, I would love to hear stories of people who didn't play fourteen and then listened to the soundtrack and were like, I need me more of that and started playing the game, because that would just be amazing. Right. And, yeah. No, exactly. Uh, Peter, for yourself, does the music from Shadowbringers, I guess Final Fantasy XIV overall, but specifically, have you gotten to do Shadowbringers yet to be able to consume the music, or have you just done it on the side? No, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere close. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I have listened to the music a lot. Um, and yeah, it's they've it's they've done a really good job, especially like I said, that main theme is really really good. Um, the one of the main boss themes has been really um is really sweet. Um, I've been listening to that one a lot. 
Um, they've just, they, in general, 14's music, they just do a really fantastic job with it. And it's clearly maintaining the consistency, which is fantastic. And, and John, we haven't talked much about, I know you're a big musical theater nerd, but are you a big video game music nerd outside of your gaming? Uh, yeah, I have quite a few, sound- I have quite a few soundtracks on my, uh, iPhone. I mean, I tend to, this is a game that I kind of want to play, but I almost avoid because I'm terrified of it because it's so big. And I know <laughs> if I start playing like every single time I, I like, I hear, hear about the graphics or hear the, hear the music or hear Caitlin talk about it at length. I just want to play it so bad, but I feel like if I ever did, there's my year, if not more. That's exactly where I'm at. And I'm just waiting for the time that I can commit to it. I mean, there are probably worse ways to spend your year, but... You'll definitely miss out on every other game. <laughs> it it looks like an astoundingly good experience. Great experience. Um, it From what I've seen and from what I have heard, it just... And again, from what I've heard Caitlin say and write about it, it, uh, it seems to bring together everything amazing about Final Fantasy in a in one package like the entire history and that's that's a very tempting thing to uh see and apparently here so mm. if you haven't listened to shadowbringer soundtrack go do that uh we talked about uh, kid it's a high rule earlier in the unconventional rpg section it was a runner-up there and the biggest thing we spoke about was the fact that its music was outstanding and that's basically what that game is about so i am very happy to see that uh, everybody agreed that it deserved a mention and yeah, as Jana, you were saying, like, Danny Baranowski got so many of the tr- best tracks from the series together, and then some, and did some amazing mixes on them. And out of context, all this music works. I mean, if you're a fan of the series, you're going to know all of it, and you're just going to enjoy jamming out to it for sure. Yeah, I have the soundtrack on my phone. Um, <laughs> Speaking of. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's 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 Paul's Pounding, which is literally what the game is about. Um like this is this is an instance where I will like I will go to bat about Cadence of Hyrule and the quality of the music and everything but I I actually agree with the runners up uh positioning here because all of the music in this game it's it, they're brilliant remixes they're brilliant uh mashups but it is there's not a whole lot of completely original work here it's uh brilliant reinterpretations of stuff that has already existed for literally decades whereas Shadowbringers as I understand it is original and that's that uh uh and is brilliant so yeah that's I a very important distinction there. for sure yes it is and that's not saying that the music in cadence of hyrule is uh not amazing because it is um not the least of which is like it's so integrated into the gameplay and that is the gameplay that's necrodancer uh if the music wasn't that good no one would want to play the game absolutely and, and not only like the game would not be as much fun as it is but the amazing thing about Cadence of Hyrule is just how much music is in the game. It's not just, yeah, there are there are all the remixes of the Overworld and Hyrule Castle and uh, the Dark World theme is especially amazing. Um, but there's also a peaceful version of all of those themes. So whenever you kill all the enemies, a much more peaceful version comes uh, comes on the screen. And then you can kind of move everywhere freely without having to move on the beat. So there are two versions of every single uh, song in the game. Um it's just a truly jaw draw. Like I'm looking at the soundtrack here. Let's see here. So, uh, so 62 tracks on the first disc, and so it's 132 songs. Five hours. Five hours. There's four so minutes much. Worth of mu- so yeah. much music, and I have cleaned my house many a time to that soundtrack. It's great I for getting up- stuff done. <laughs> that sounds like a great music for for that. You just like kind of 
bounce along with it as you're as you're you know sweeping the floors or wiping the countertops. Well, exactly. I'm certain that if I did that, I'd break stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> you would break down. Anyways, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I know, Caitlin, you're not a huge fan of the series, uh, as you've said, but like the music, have you listened to the soundtrack at all? I have not. You're doing it a service to yourself. It's I so know, good. I know. I need to. I need to check it out. Have you listened to much of the music from the series, even if like you haven't indulged in the games as much? I mean, I, I'm. I know like the, some of the main themes, and I'm familiar with some of the music I've heard from a couple of the, the Zelda games that I have played. Um, but I'm not like extensively. Uh, uh, well, I'm not extensively. Yeah, well versed in That's in fair. the music of the series. Oh, so you mean Zelda, not Necrodancer. Zelda, yeah, Zelda. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. No, you said you aren't. I have. Of the I have no background in Necrodancer. I've never. I didn't even know what that Necrodancer was a thing until this was announced. It's also got stellar music. That's for sure. Which makes sense that uh, they brought it forward into this. And Peter, you spoke highly of the music too when we talked about this game earlier. Yeah, no, it's 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 got a real it's got a really good soundtrack, as you would expect. Oh, exactly. It's necessary. So it and but yeah, like John said, the important distinction is it is not it's not a lot that's original, which is makes sense for why it wouldn't be our winner. But it also has such quality production value. And again, uh, do the sound effects stand out to you in any way, John? Or does that all feed into the rhythm of the gameplay? A little bit, not any more than not any more than the usual Legend of Zelda sound design. Um, everything sounds good, but nothing particularly made me go, "Holy, that is something else." It uh, wasn't like made to like also contribute to the music, so to speak. Hmm, that's an interesting. I I recently played it because I I just reviewed I just added a section to the review for the uh, the DLC that right. just came out. Um. No, I don't think so. I mean, things okay. are still in time with the music. For example, when you fire an arrow, it has to be in time with the music. The bombs explode uh, based on the rhythm, that kind of thing. But uh, it's not like a integral part of the game. And it's not like they have, yeah, like the, the bomb doesn't blow up in a staccato burst that feeds into the rhythm. It would be really neat if they did that. But obviously everything's going to still be pretty rhythmic given the nature of how you're supposed to be attacking and executing everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great game. If you love Legend of Zelda, play it because it's a Legend of Zelda game. It's a... Uh, it's a really, really good uh, mashup of both Necrodancer. If you love Necrodancer, you're going to love this. If you love Legend of Zelda, you're going to love this because it it looks like a classic 2D Legend of Zelda game. And in fact, it plays an awful lot like one, uh, except with a randomizing element. Um, oh, which is, yeah, what that game, people loved about that when they played uh, Link Between Worlds. So Yeah, I mean, the Legend of Zelda randomizers are the, the current hotness. So I don't think that, I think that probably somebody at Nintendo was paying attention and said, we should do that with a no game. Kidding. Yeah, and they did. And it, I think it was a big, big success. I, I'm kind of excited to see if they if they uh, keep doing these little experiments with some of their IPs, because I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's nice that they're kind of letting the reins loose a bit. So we got two fantastic soundtracks for anyone to go listen to, whether you've played the game or not. Um, but moving forward, we're talking about story in this next thing, which is what a lot of us come to RPGs for, right? And, uh, sometimes, you know, you get a game like Monster Hunter where you're in it for the combat, you're in it to hunt things, and, and some of our games of, of yore have had very thin stories, uh, like, you know, even Pokemon series has never been much for that, you're in it just to catch monsters, but... By and large, you're playing an RPG because you want to invest in a really great story with fantastic character development. And the winner was Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is no stranger to either of those categories. 
since the entire thing is forged around making relationships and then spans like years of those relationships and where they get to. And as Peter was saying in uh, the first uh, part of this, it's just the story is so interesting because you get to such a point where you've got to know all these characters so well. And then eventually you, you get to a point where you kind of have to not necessarily turn on each other, but just the circumstances necessitate that you have to fight one another. And it's just like, but I love them. Peter is the only one thing here who has finished the game. So you can speak more to how the story unfolds, at least for the black Eagles. Cause I don't think you've played the other houses yet. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't played the other ones yet. Although I'm, I'm, a, I've, I do, I do know some of the, the details of what happens in the other routes. Um, yeah, no, I I can't speak highly of Three Houses' story enough. They do a really good job of just of put, putting you in this the middle of this conflict where you like you've gotten to know and care about all the parties involved, and it it makes choosing a side really difficult because um, even though you you pick a house at the start of your route, the other, you'll get to know the other students and you can recruit some of them onto your cause. And once war inevitably breaks out among them, you just it's 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 one of the few games I've seen that tackles like gray morality in a really interesting way. Like a lot of the characters have like goals that are like loft have lofty ideals behind them, but are going to require on them to commit some pretty heinous acts um, by the game's end. Well, and I remember it's, Nathan, it's compelling, which is fantastic. And I remember Nathan even saying too in his review that there's even points where you find sympathy for the villain as well. There's a bit of a gray area there. So that's it's great that they don't just paint it all in you're bad, you're good, let's go be heroes and save the world. Yeah, right. No, it's it's definitely um it's a change of pace for sure. And I, I think a good one. It's just it fits that like that fantasy motif really well. Yeah, and it's the reason I'm excited to get back to it as well. Um, our runner up was Disco Elysium, which again, none of us here have played. I don't think, have you played it, Caitlin? We spoke about it on the part one, but we didn't talk about it on part two, I don't think. Uh, I haven't, although I have to say, um, everything I've read about this makes me want to check it out. It was not on my radar at all. Uh, this was on, not on your radar, but like what put it on your radar? Well, reading, reading our coverage of it. And then also, uh, I believe, didn't it win, uh, it won an award at the game game awards, right? Yeah, best indie. Yeah, so like that. I mean, like I don't know, game awards. It's not like I plan my gaming calendar around what wins at the game awards, but for something like that, where I didn't even know it what it was, because you know, a lot of times the game awards feel like the the the, the games that win are the the big popular ones. They're the ones that have a lot of word of mouth, at least if not the big AAA titles. So. The, the the death the death stranding award for yeah. outstanding excellence in being death stranding also jeff Keeley's in the game isn't this unethical yeah <laughs> so like i mean that that kind of perked my ears up about it and then i uh i forget i i think i checked out our review for it and uh it was kind of like this sounds really interesting so one well, it seems so rooted in its story that like that would have to be so on point and so well constructed to engross players because it wouldn't have anything else going for it, because that's the entire thing. But at any rate, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the lead designer um, is, is uh, Robert Kurvitz, who's a novelist as well. So it just it makes sense that the writing is going to be getting such a great focus as well. I haven't heard a single bad thing about this game. It it really I really want to play it too. It just it just sounds like a really amazing experience. 
if we're at a place where you can have an experience with the game as opposed to just feeling like eh, I've played a thing, like being affected by it is something to look forward to. But best localization is the next category, which uh, can be very hit or miss. We can have things uh, like, what was it, East 9? Is that the one that was is- had issues? East 8. eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can have issues like what happened with East 8, and even going so back as the early days of the SNES when uh, Ted Woolsey had to do everything by himself, and stuff got missed and got truncated and whatever. But we've come to such a place where there's much better focus put on it and uh and it's something i've become much more aware of mo- chiefly because of knowing derek heemsberg and, and steven Myrink for that being their whole job trajectory it's made me more aware of how much that matters in games as well and with something like final fantasy 14 shadowbringers winning uh it must have done such an outstanding job of keeping all of its various threads and storylines and characters and everything to such a degree of quality, which it would have to to keep maintain that story and make it believable, not take people out of it, because like it's so quick for me to jump out of something when I see a spelling error or a context error or whatever, right? So, I mean, again, Kaylee, you're the most proficient with the game. I'm sure you can speak to how uh, well handled the localization is. Yeah, uh, I think that Final Fantasy XIV, like just not even Shadowbringers, I think the entire game has done a fantastic job with its localization because uh, not not only because it's a huge mountain of text to be translating and 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 localizing for an MMO, um, but also because of the flavor that they add into it. I mean, like this this is a game that is set in a world that is. I mean, they have airships, and they're they're you know there's a country that has more like modern style technology, but it's 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 a fantasy game. It's set in it's not an industrial fantasy. It is a a, a magic and 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 uh, you know crystals kind of fantasy. So it always has had a bit more of a. Uh, not not Shakespearean, but a bit, a bit more of an old kind of English style to it. Especially some characters talk in a much more like uh, fancy and flowery uh, uh, style of uh, of speech, like our our beloved uh, Uriange, who has lots of you know thous and these and and woods and things like that. Very old English. Um, yeah, um, and it's really good at. Cre- you know creating a setting is is it's more than just necessarily the 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 names of the places and the words and the and and the, the the specifics of like how this world works it's also about how the text is presented and the 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 text in in 14 has always done a good job of kind of selling just by its style, the uh, the kind of world it's supposed to be like. It's it would be weird if we had this sort of traditional fantasy world and everyone spoke in like purely modern English and used modern slang and things like that. That would take you out of the experience a little bit. And fourteen does a good job of putting you in the experience just through its text. And then we can't talk about the localization without bringing up the fact that uh, the quests, the quest names in fourteen. Are especially the side quests are usually the some of the the, the best puns that you're going to see in an RPG in, in terms of like quest names. Yeah, like Koji Fox is he's the pun king. He is he just he loves to put the puns in. Um, and there's been lots of uh, you know times where I've gotten a quest and I've been like, oh hey, like there are several quests that are directly like Hamilton references that I was like, yes, oh wow, I like this. So. 
I just you know any game that can make you chuckle because of the the puns in 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 the in the text and the quest uh, the quest names I think is on to something good. <laughs> so, exactly. And Jono has yeah. just purchased the game with that uh, musical reference. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Yeah, like I said, when Caitlin talks <laughs> about this game, I just I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard not to be infected. Don't throw away your shot, dude. Well, now I'm now I'm just torn between that and trails. So, both I, get get both. Why not both? Why not both dot dot gif? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. Four K. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you said yourself, Peter, you're not here yet, but so far as you've been playing, obviously the quality has been maintained through the localization. I'm yeah, guessing. no, yeah, the writing the writing in fourteen is off the charts. Like it's another one. It's one of those things where like they've elevated their genre almost i feel like above the rest of the final fantasy series even they, they've done some really incredible work with 14 it's definitely on a world on its own yeah now i'm excited to play more of it like it's just they they, they really do a great job of making ARZ feel like a, a place with like history that like and its inhabitants feel and and, and with, with with yeah with the history and inhabitants you're interacting with and going on adventures with and it's good. It's very good. <laughs> it's good. It's good localization. Go go read some Final Fantasy XIV. Um, speaking of reading, something we've been, uh, I guess, reading for generations is the the very particular localization that has been put into Dragon Quest for years. It's very on-the-nose Britishisms of trying to make the text read as a British accent or a Scottish accent or and such. And that has not gone away in Dragon Quest Builders 2. They have always done such a fantastic job of phonetically uh, bringing regional stereotypical British dialects to life. And um, I mean, I, I've only played a handful of Dragon Quest games, so I can't speak to it as much as others possibly here, but I've always delighted in just their commitment to that shtick. Is it, is it at all weird that like, I'm not, uh, I haven't really played a lot of Dragon Quest. I've, I've, Chuck through like I don't know maybe a third of Dragon Quest Eight on 3DS, and I have not played Eleven yet. But is it weird that like I'm almost more interested in playing the game just for the localization and to see how they, you know, I've I've I I, I remember reading the descriptions of the text in Eleven and how they had all the different accents and how it was brilliant and I was like, that sounds cool. Is it weird that 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 kind of attracts me more than maybe necessarily the game itself sometimes? <laughs> I don't think so at all. Not I at all. Yeah, I feel like that's, again, it's part and parcel with the charm of it. Like, if you're getting, there's a bunch of things that make Dragon Quest good for what it is. Like, you absolutely know what you're getting with that series. And even with Dragon Quest Builders and Builders 2, where they've shaken up their genre slightly and, and slapped it over the, the uh, basically a paint job onto Minecraft, but integrated it into their world so beautifully, like, you're going to get more of that. So you're going to get, the, the, again, that shtick of the accents and the localization, and you're going to get the same tired soundtrack, and you're going to get uh, all the just the ridiculous uh, names also that the localization team has given to the spells. As Peter was saying, you know, uh, even the hero gets them in Smash, and, like, you get, you know, um, like, F Frazzle. Is that one of the ones where you get a camera? Yeah. There? Like, they just have such ridiculous names when I was playing through. Zoom. Yeah. Dragon Quest Nine was the first one I played. And when I started reading these abilities and spells, and I'm like, what? And then all the different puns that come with that as well. 
uh, and the mm-hmm. puns and the, the quests. Enemy, they they have so much fun with the enemy names right? too. And like it's yeah, the whole game just has such a style to it. What is it? The um, there's a uh, I think it's a slime knight that's like got multiple slimes stacked on top of each other, and the name of it was a one night stand. Like it's just stuff like that. It's just like <laughs> I just I just need to they like, have fun. slow clap on that one, which I won't because it just won't translate. But just that deserves a slow clap. That's that's impressive. Yeah, the localization team for Dragon Quest has done really good work, and um, pretty much, I mean, ever since I think eight has eight was one of the first games in the series to really have that that style. But ever since then, they've just hit it out of the park with every game. They just seem to have so much fun with it, and that's the important part. Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin, play 11. It's good. <laughs> I know. Uh, I actually, uh, true story, I got 11 for Christmas uh, in 2018. It was 2018. I think it was Christmas 2018. Um, uh-huh. And I had not opened it. And I I did, I have sold it without playing it. But I sold it because I knew that if I ever got around to playing it, I'd want to play the Switch version. Mm. You've made good because choices. Because of the, yeah, the no, I, I extra content and the... No longer MIDI soundtrack, please. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I knew, like, oh. if I was actually going to play it, I wouldn't play it on PS4. Yeah, it's the definitive edition. That, that alone so is worth getting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had it, and I'm sorry I never played it. I just never got around to it. But when I do get around to it, I will play it on Switch. It was a happy accident. It's okay. It's it's it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's definitely worth it. Meanwhile, you've probably repurchased Final Fantasy XII on the Switch again. Actually, I haven't yet. I'm bad. I know. What, what kind of, I'm, I'm not. I'm a fake. I'm not a real Final Fantasy XII fan. I don't even own the game on every system that's available. I also don't own it on PC. What's wrong with me? I'm going to take the so, Stan Final Fantasy XII out of your name I think now. I need just... you to take my, my, my title of biggest Final Fantasy XII fan at RPG fan away from me now. Let, let me just check how many copies of Final Fantasy X I have. One second. <laughs> 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 so the next hour of the podcast uh, will be devoted to Peter counting his cop. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the next, the answer is the answer is four. <laughs> four, uh, ha, ha. just four. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, and um, yeah, John, have you have you played any of the Dragon Quest? I mean, being oh, a yeah. theater nerd, I feel like this stuff. I think you talked about that in the first one. Uh, yeah, I haven't played. Rec- I haven't played. I haven't played either of the Builders games. Um, no, just because Builders Builders Minecraft style uh, games have never really appealed to me. They look interesting. I love the idea that the first Builders was set in a parallel universe where I think it was the hero lost in the first game. Yeah, that no, but really I mean, neat. yeah, I mean, I I love Dragon Quest. Uh, I played through the I played through the series. Uh, I think I rent. I can't believe I'm about to do this again. I rented Dragon Quest for at Abercrombie Video when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, they wouldn't take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah. Um, I rented it when I was a kid, and I mean, I had no idea what was going on, but I loved it. And then years later, when the first two came out in that amazing two-pack for a Game Boy Color, I played through them, and then three, and then continuing on from there. They're great games. Um, I have not played Builders 2, but one thing I do love about Dragon Quest is the fact that it's like there's a... Yeah, there are certain things that carry through Final Fantasy, like the like the, the victory theme, things like that. Sids. Yeah, exactly. But with Dragon Quest, the continuity between the games... And just what they have held on to from all the way from the original uh, is it's it's admirable and absurd at the same time. It's so, yeah, it's so stuck up its own uh, place, but at the same time. Yeah, because yeah. if you don't know what you're getting into and you just you you're fighting and you just hear the at the end and you're like, whoa, what the heck was that? 
um, you won't understand. But if you know the history of it, you're like, oh, I recognize that. That's a callback to everyone in the past. Um, and I mean, you're right. Lo everyone's right about this. The localization of Dragon Quest is very, very special. Uh, and uh, from what I have seen, Builders 2 carries on with that tradition. Yeah, it's definitely like the safest RPG ever. <laughs> and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. You you know what you're getting with your peanut butter and jelly Dragon Quest. At some point in the future, they will break, I'm sure. At some point, they'll try something a little bit daring, and we'll see where it goes from there. I mean... Well, that's how we get this kind of stuff. Like, there's Dragon Quest monsters. It's the spin-offs they do, it, right? It's the mainline series that they keep pretty safe, and then they try things like Dragon Quest Builders, and it worked. Dragon Quest monsters didn't have so much, and, like, didn't they have, like, a card game? So I don't know. Anyways, they, they do spin-off series, we're, and that's where they explore. We are, we, are, we, are getting another, we are getting another Dragon Quest Monsters for Switch at some point. Oh, it's been goodness. a while since we heard anything about it, mm. but um, it's uh, they announced it a while, I think, early last year. It's apparently going to have a gonna star Eric from Dragon Quest XI, oh, so I'm in for him and his, for him and his crazy Christian Bale accent. <laughs> it was surprisingly fun. And apparently we're getting a, a a spiritual Dragon Quest sequel later this year with Yakuza Like a Dragon, which will be fascinating. Yes. <laughs> I am very much intrigued. I, I, I want it. I, I don't Actually, know. That, that comes out this week, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, in Japan. I mean, that's. I in think Japan. that's one of the reasons why there's been so much news lately. It's because the buildup has been oh, going on in Japan. God. Yeah, it's going to break and then it won't. It's been overwhelming and I've been loving every second of it but at the same time it's like oh we've, god but it, it's, yeah, it's literally we we haven't been able to keep up <laughs> like, like just speaking speaking on behalf of our poor news staff in japan yakuza 7 please relax <laughs> hopefully it will soon for peter's sake calm down yakuza japan i guess whatever the company is i don't know anyways we've got four more categories to go Let's so go. moving on to our best protagonist was uh i want to just yakuza. take like I just want to be a jerk and say it completely wrong, but I can't. Anyways, it's Reen Schwarzer, correct? Uh, Schwarzer, yeah. Schwarzer. Oh, am I, I, maybe I'm overpronunciating. Any rate, uh, from The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3, which was a big fan favorite for a lot of people here. Why is Reen so neato, Caitlin? Well, um, and this is... I had to be delicate about this because the Trails fandom has some very particular opinions about Trails protagonists, and Reen is usually actually not... <laughs> Uh, at the top of their favorite list, but I really like him, and I think he deserves this award because he's grown a lot. This is this is this is the game where Ring kind of comes into his own. Like he's a student in the first two games, and your mileage is going to vary based on how much that sort of. He's a decent guy. He's kind of an everyman. He is liked by everybody. He's a good leader. You know, he's special. How much, you know, that kind of jives with you or if that's maybe a little too anime for you. And, I mean, he's still liked by everybody and is special and, in you know, is a good guy in Cold Steel 3. But I think that he works so much better as a teacher, which is what he does in Cold Steel 3, than he does as a student. And I think I like him personally as a student, but I think that being a teacher is kind of what he was meant to be uh, as a character and as an arc. And you get to sort of see him grow into that. And hes it's not that he starts off at the beginning of the game and he's brilliant. He still stumbles and has to learn his way around teaching his students and whatnot. But he, he does. And it's great to see him kind of develop like that. And he's just like, he's a good 
guy. Like, he's a decent person. He wants to do the right thing. He's got this weird power that he doesn't know what it is, and he can't quite control it. And there are, you know, reasons and plot developments that, you know, when you you play the game and you'll kind of see more about that. And and we we will, obviously, there's another game, so there's more to to learn about that. But he's, you know, he's a decent guy. And it also really helps... um, for the Western audience that Sean Chiblock does such a fantastic job voicing him. Like, holy crap. I think this is the first, this is the first game where I think I, I, well, it may not be the first game where he voiced a character that I played, but it's the first game where I took notice of his voice acting. Uh, that is uh, the original Cold Steel, when he, the first game that he started voicing Renan. And he's just done a, you know, super bang up job um, every game. And, you know, is now like one of my favorite voice actors because of his portrayal of Rain. Um, so like, you know, it's just, he's a good character and Cold Steel 3 is him kind of growing up a little bit, coming into his own and making, you know, making his mark. So I, I, I'm happy that he won this award and I look forward to seeing, I mean, like, I look forward to seeing what happens in, in the future. Hopefully we find out this year. Please, Nisa, please. (laughs) So he was just introduced in Trails of Cold Steel. He's not from any yes. other sky arcs. Okay, cool. Was he not yeah. in the crossbell stuff at all? He is. There's. He himself is not mentioned in any game prior to Cold Steel. The class seven gets mentioned briefly in the crossbell arc uh, as a, as a as a general concept. They exist, but yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Well, our runner up was uh, actually no. I should speak that first. It's it's nice that they didn't just go all. Well, he's a good guy, so let's just make him good for the sake of being good. I'm glad he has some mystery and some growth still to work through, and it's neat that if you stick through the entire arc, that you get to see him grow into his own, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. It's one of the nice things about the uh, Trail series in general is that every 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 set of new characters and stories is not just one game; it's an arc. Even you know, it's uh, three games, two games, four games. Maybe they're gonna. <laughs> I was saying, I was about to say, maybe they're going to try and outdo themselves and have a five-game arc for the next arc, but I think they're they're shooting to do smaller arcs going forward and not mega four-game arcs. But that's definitely one of the advantages of a long-running series like this, where all the games are in the same universe and characters show up throughout multiple arcs, and there are actual arcs, multi-game arcs. You have you have that much more space and time to let characters grow and kind of become you know, interesting uh, just within their own little story arc. Which is, yeah, and I mean, that's one thing, like, you'll get something like Final Fantasy where it stands on its own, and then you have to see these characters grow from start to finish, maybe, and sometimes it's better executed than not, you know, in, in any other standalone game. So it's really neat to see a character go from game one through game two to game three and watch that entire journey with them is really fascinating, because we don't get that yeah. in a lot of series they usually come up with a new cast at some point. Yeah. So it's good. Well, moving over to our runner up, someone I can't really speak much to, but we uh, gave it over to Miriam from Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Uh, John, John, what characterizes a good Castlevania protagonist to you? Like what, what sticks out in your mind to, uh, to be the Castlevania protagonist? Uh, well, in the partic- in this particular case, unfortunately, I can't speak to Bloodstained because, again, no. on my backlist, uh, yeah, which... But I more just meant your history with Castlevania. I think you're one of the best versed here with it. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's the traditional, you know, 
hey, look, there's a whip. And I mean, that this game kind of pays homage with that. And certainly Curse of the Moon does, which is another game that looks amazing. Um, I'm just looking, I'm just reading uh, Alana's little description here. Uh, I love her little, I love her little mention that, uh, uh, that she, that the character becomes giddy when she learns how to take photogra- uh, photographs for the first time. Well, yeah, she, this sounds that's more really... personable than what I remember a lot of Castlevania characters being. Yeah, Bel- the Belmonts tend to be a uh, very, uh, very, um, serious sort stoic yeah stoic unless it? you're unless you're talking about the old captain n cartoon <laughs> right <laughs> or even the recent uh netflix series things get a little more indulgent there because they have mm-hmm. room to do with it but obviously traditionally castlevanians haven't been very high on their character design uh sorry i guess um character development. development in terms of the actual character's personality it's just been about hey there's a vampire i should go kill it and that's largely it i have a vendetta against dracula because that's what the booklet says and it's up for the players to instill that with whatever. It wasn't, I think, until like probably the GBA ones and stuff that we started getting more development well, introdu- into it. Yeah, they started introducing more RPG elements and RPG-style character development into it. Yeah, and then we get lines like, what is a man? Um, but the, the, the up until now, like probably one the of the... greatest localization of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that one of the most standout uh, Castlevanias in the entire series too, though? symphony of the night oh yeah 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 absolutely i mean this game is, is a spiritual sequel to symphony of the night um i'd be i'm gonna be very interested to see where they go from here because it looks like they've laid a really interesting foundation for future uh for future games mm-hmm, um, which we spoke to in the, the first episode yeah yeah it's not just that it's also they can they have a lot of different uh a lot of different areas they can explore i mean curse of the moon is looks it looks like a classic 8-bit uh castlevania game this looks like a very you know polished uh style uh like playstation 2 style no no, sorry not playstation 2 style playstation 2 had terrible castlevania games um i was gonna say maybe we'll get like a proper uh, castlevania 64 (laughs) i would be interested to see where that would where that would go yeah but i mean either way it's a new start for castlevania type games free of the uh the constraints that are put on that particular series Mm-hmm. And Miriam leading it and her very interesting curse that feeds into her powers and such seems to be a very compelling protagonist to carry the whole series. And I love the way that even though Miriam is Miriam and she's defined as the leading character of the series, you can still change her hairstyle, hair color, skin color to make Miriam your own. That's and, a role playing right there. Well, exactly. And players can see themselves a lot easier in the role, which is an important part of these games and why so many of us are drawn to many of these titles if we can see ourselves in them and especially the ones where we can actually fully customize our characters mm-hmm. i agree entirely it's a game that i have again like right at the top of my list well we'll see what you get to by the end of uh january <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll come on i'll come on random and uh talk about it briefly because i mean it's an older game but i'll i'll mention you know what i think when i finish when i play it right well uh something that uh we know more about again uh thanks to Caitlin is our best supporting character category winner, which is, I'm probably going to say this terribly, is Emmett Selch? Or is it Emmett Selk? Emmett, Emmett Selk. Okay. Emmett Selk from yeah. Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. And uh, yeah, is he he's a supporting character. Is he a good supporting character or a bad supporting character? Who is Emmett Selk? He is a villain, technically. But he's a little bit interesting because um, he's introduced at the end of Stormblood. 
and through somewhat mysterious circumstances, uh, he you know you're never one hundred percent sure quite sure what is his deal is. Um, basically, he's an Asian, and the Asians are the big bad uh, guys in fourteen. They are these uh, mysterious body hopping individuals who uh, worship the well, possibly the deity. We don't know. It's shrouded in kind of mystery up until Shadowbringers, but they worship this deity called Zodiark, who is, of course, familiar to Final Fantasy fans. Mm -hmm. And they are apparently attempting to sow chaos and destruction in the world in order to uh, bring him back. And this is all based on the original lore of the game in which Zodiark and Hydaelyn, who is the the mother crystal and these the the sort of patron deity for our character for the warrior of light uh engaged in a big battle and zodi uh, Heidelin won and banished zodiark uh, and the, the Asians want him back so they're really making Asians of themselves they're making yes <laughs> they they do i know I, so it's a wonder there hasn't been a joke made in the game boo. about that yet <laughs> get out of my podcast no i'm kidding it, that warrants a boo <laughs> i'll take it so yeah so emmet selk is one of these Asians and uh, he's one of the, like, I guess their their ranks are a little kind of nebulous. Even in Shadowbringers, it's not necessarily clear, like, if there's a, what kind of hierarchy there is in terms of who's, is there someone, is there one person in command or whatnot, but he's up there in the ranks. Um, and the Asians have always been, they've been mysterious. Uh, we didn't really know why they were doing what they were doing up until now. They were very hard to, to deal with and kill uh, uh, for most of the game. And there, but we know we have to fight them, and and despite not knowing a whole lot about their motivations or their intentions beyond just like you know chaos and darkness, darkness. Sorry, I was gonna say, is this spoiling much for you, Peter? <laughs> I mean, I kind of spoiled myself. What? Well, <laughs> I kind of spoiled myself, honestly. So okay, cool. <laughs> so Emmett Selkson, I'm sorry about that. So Emmett Selk comes up at the end of Stormblood, and he arrives in Shadowbringers, and he apparently wants a truce, temporary truce at least, with. The Warrior of Light and the Science of Seventh Dawn. I don't buy and, it. Don't buy it at all. Yeah, and nobody buys it. Like everyone's like, we'll we'll work with them because you know it might be interesting to get their their point of view and figure out what they're even doing here. Uh, but nobody in the group really fully trusts him. But he 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 travels with you. He gives you some background about the Asians, and he explains. There's some major plot revelations with regards to. Uh, the nature of the world or the the universe rather in Final Fantasy XIV um, that change uh, your perspectives both on like the history of the, that universe and also it helps it really does a lot to help explain who the Asians are and why they want what they want and Emmett Salk in particular is he's 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 the reason why uh, you even sort of get that that glimpse into. Uh, what the Essians want. He's a great character, not just because he finally gives us some background and explains why things are they where they are and what the Essians want, but he himself is just a really interesting kind of... He's he's shady. He's never not shady. You're always kind of wary of him, but there's a very real uh, sense with him that he he is... He's very... <coughs> he wants something that was lost to them. Something that they they lost, and he wants to get back. And you can tell from the way he talks about it how important it was to him. And you kind of can almost sympathize with what he wants and why he wants it, even though 
uh, the method by which he's going about to get what he wants is, you know, horrible and you absolutely have to stop him. But he's a great job of sort of humanizing uh, himself and the Asians as a whole and making them at least a little bit more understandable and sympathetic. And I really think he's so amazing because he's a great, interesting kind of, you know, uh, uh, character on his own right. But he's also amazing in that he finally opens that window and, and sheds some light on that that we have really been look, searching for for, you know, the past couple of expansions. Um, and, hard, you know. Man actually. Yes. Yeah. He's like, the, Arden is a perfect comparison. I immediately thought when he showed up at the end of Stormblood that he reminded me a lot of Arden in his mannerisms, in the very kind of mysterious kind of way he presents himself. He is literally the Arden of Final Fantasy fourteen, And that is, if you know anything about my opinions about Final Fantasy fifteen, that is like the highest praise. I cannot praise him higher than by comparing him to Arden, who is the one shining ray of, of of goodness that I like about Final Fantasy fifteen because he is like one of the best Final Fantasy villains of all time. Because of his almost redeeming qualities. Amen. Yeah. No, oh, that's awesome. So and makes me really want to play this. He's just more. a really good he's almost he's, he's you know I think one of the things that makes him a great character and especially a great villain is that you know you're going to have to deal with him at some point like he's he's walking around with you for most of the story and he's telling you these these you know he's telling you some background some lore and whatnot and he's he's for the time being not your enemy but you know that you're going to have to deal with him Just and when is the turn going to happen basically yeah and the thing that makes him great is that you know you have to do it but you almost kind of don't want to like he's 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 just charismatic and sympathetic enough that you kind of don't want to have to deal with him even though you know you're going to have to and that's you know we don't see that a whole lot with villains a lot of times villains are just like not necessarily in one note but they're very obviously evil or insane and you have no compunctions whatsoever of dealing with them and to have a character that you kind of you're kind of sad to think i'm probably gonna have to fight him at some point and I don't know if we're, if, you know, one or both of us are going to make it out of that. You know, like, it's, that's a good, I think, bar for a villain to, to meet. And Emmett Sell yeah. meets that quite handily. You're almost hoping for the spare him option. <laughs> uh, well, alternatively, uh, it's funny because this entire segment, both the, both the runner up and the winner of this section were written up by you, <laughs> being yes. most familiar with both. Uh, Altina or Orion from The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3. Uh, was our runner-up for this category and does not look nearly as villainous as Emmett. <laughs> no, she is a cinnamon roll who must be protected. <laughs> and why is that? Yes, good. She's a really interesting character. Um, so she's... She, we first meet her in Cold Seal 2 and um, it's pretty obvious from when you meet her um, that she's not like... A normal human being and you you learn pretty early on in cold steel 3 that she's an artificial person so I mean, she's, she's not an anime like, girl of course she's yeah and she's very especially in cold steel 2 she's very robotic you know she's she's focused on her mission even her speech kind of feels like a little artificial and she's clearly just you know she's not even trying to be a, a human a person she's just trying to do what she was created to do and she's still kind of in that mindset at the beginning of Cold Steel 3, but 
the beautiful, you know, part of her character development throughout the game is her learning to be a person and to make friends and have a family. And by the end of the game, um, there's a really touching moment that she has where um, at the beginning of the game, she was asked a question about why she was there. Why Why are you uh, here at this branch campus? Why are you, why do you want to be a part of this class? And she couldn't come up with an answer that was, that was, you know, good. She kind of, you know, tried to get out of it, but she couldn't really come up with an answer. And by the end of the game, she has that answer and she knows what that answer is. And it's something, it's just a really sweet sort of development for her to go from not knowing why she's there, why she wants to be there to knowing what, why she's there and having something that she wants for herself and not just because it's her orders or because it's why she was created. Um, She's just such a great little character development, character growth there. And to see her, you know, she she becomes very protective and very, very close with her fellow classmates. And she has, a, I think, a really beautiful sort of almost like surrogate father-daughter relationship with Reen, uh, especially by the end of the game, that I just, she is, she is so, she is so, what's the word I'm looking for? Cinnamon roll? She's a cinnamon roll. She is, you know, by the end of the game, like, if you don't want to just, you know, like, pinch her cheeks and give her a hug and, like, you know, protect her from everything, I I don't know. You, you don't have, you don't have a soul, so. <laughs> well, that's, that is a delight. And I guess it's a reason why we had two characters from that, given going into our next char- category, which is our best overall cast of 2019, which went to Fire Emblem Three Houses, which it's a t- stiff category, to be frank. Uh, but that the entire game is built on having a diverse and interesting cast of people to interact with and eventually, as Peter said near the end, get S-rank with. And uh, and then our runner-up being <laughs> Cold Steel 3, it's very much a game in the same vein. So you have these two very strong casts that you interact with, I think, in somewhat similar ways. Although, uh, is Cold Steel as relationship-based or is it more traditional RPG with that? Oh well, they they are kind of similar in the sense that you have um, you have uh, bonding points that you can use okay. throughout the game, and you get little little cutscenes with people that you, you know you you learn more about them and you you deepen your relationship. So it is it is kind of similar in that respect. And it was a good year for having a lot of interesting cast. I mean, even uh, just even thinking in the strategy vein, like I'm sure Jono can agree with me that Wargroove has very compelling characters, even though they don't get a lot to go with. And you don't like there's this, the interactions with them are brief, but they're very compelling. Like I found every character in that game pretty charming. Yeah, well, that's the mark of good ensemble is that everybody in the, even if they don't have a whole lot to say, they still will stand out. Everyone has a moment where you go, oh, there's that person, there's that character that sums them up. And uh, with how brief that game was, they did a good job of capturing that. I completely and utterly agree. And uh, from what I've heard of both Fire Emblem and uh, and uh, Cold Steel Three, both games do that beautifully it sounds like the characters that are there are they feel like real people by the end of the game they're developed so beautifully that you can pick out individual moments for you know your not just your favorite character but any character in the game you can go oh that's a moment where they shined yeah, yeah. no fire emblem really excels in that too yeah i have to say uh you know i haven't i haven't started playing it yet and i needed to get on that but um, I think I, I've I've looked into like I've you know I've looked at the different the three different houses and I've looked at the characters and I've 
I've been agonizing over which house I'm going to pick first when I finally start the game. And I always like, I think I know which one I want to pick, but then I, I'm like, oh, but all the, all the kids in this other house also look really cool and fun. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to know them too. And, uh, and I think that's, that's not a bad problem to have is to, to not know which one you want to start with because they all look so good. Well, it's very clear that yeah, uh, no, Mike it, had choices, or sorry, that Mike uh, Salvato had uh, feelings because he clearly thinks that Dimitri is worthless and you shouldn't pick him. So, because he got he got <laughs> snubbed on the overall cast banner. He got like every lead except Dimitri. So, Blue Lions, GTFO. Aww. I kid. He's a very uh, compelling character. Uh, but sorry, Peter, I interrupted you. You were going to say? <laughs> no, you're fine. I was going to say, the, the thing about Three Houses too is that like you can't really make a wrong decision because... Ultimately, to get the full scope of the narrative, you do need to play all the routes. Um, There are a few details, some backstory stuff that you only find out if you're close with certain characters. And that's a big part of what I like about the story is that it makes it feel like a clash of ideals. Um, But um, yeah, just getting to know the characters um, through their support conversations. That's something that I was really glad they they improved upon. Because my big issue with past Fire Emblem games is the support conversations were just fluff a lot of the time. Like, you'll have two characters interact, and it'll be like, Hello, character A, I like bread. And character B will be like, Wow, I also like bread. And then they'll be like, Cool, we should go eat bread together. And that will be like... And then, the, and then their hearts go up, and there you go. But there were some really, like... Yeah. It surprised me some of the conversations that they would have. And To be that, fair, I've had friendships like, that were built on less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure... I, I'm hoping we all I, have. I can't... I, I, we all have to have that one friend who's just like, "Hey, you want to eat?" I, I, bu- I bought like an entire thing of uh, like donuts, and you're going to help me eat them. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, um, but yeah, you would have some conversations you would see, and they come out of it having improved their friendship, even though they had very divisive uh, conversation about something. It it was it's really well mm-hmm. charged. Yeah, you get like legitimate character development in their um, support conversations, and. Um, Aside from the fact that the interactions between some of the characters are really quite charming, you also get to find out more about their political situation. Like, one of the characters is basically, um, she's the, uh, she's the next in line to a foreign nation, but she's there, um, at the academy under the Empire because they're effectively holding her hostage. Um, and her, her storyline is just fascinating because she's got this this weird like admiration for her captors even though because she's been that that's basically the life she's known her whole life um it's very and it's just it's just a fascinating it's very fascinating subject material that you just you don't see very often in these kinds of games it's a very heavy stockholm syndrome yeah no no kidding and she's and she's she's great she's like one of my favorite characters yeah it's i think the same goes the sign of a good cast is when just about every character you can treat with the same level of care. Um, And I think most, if not all of the Fire Emblem Three Houses cast is just really exceptional. And that's why I feel they won this because that's a majority of the end game and the replay value is to go back and to develop different relationships because they can, as Caitlin's already agonizing who she's going to pick and how she's going to move on to the next one. And like the fact that you get the chance to play them all is very daunting, but it also it speaks highly of the entire cast that you want to get to know them all. You want to be involved in all of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, beyond just our delightful cinnamon roll, uh, the rest of the cast of Trails of Cold Steel 3 
have, have they all as class seven been there from the get-go from one through to three so you've gotten to know them the whole time well class the original class seven has but the the main focus of cold steel three is on new class seven and uh, okay uh, with the exception of altina they're all new characters that have not appeared in, in a game before cold steel three so so yeah it's great. yes and no like you still get to see all class seven and they they do get you know uh some moments for themselves as well but you know most of the time is spent with new class seven so you don't have that i guess that prehistory coming into the game of having gotten to know these characters and seen their arcs so that it that speaks even more highly of this cast that they endeared themselves so much to us in yeah most of them being just in this game yeah they do a great job of introducing these these new characters and you know integrating them so that they feel like a natural extension of the cast and in some respects they even get better development over the course of the game than the original class 7 did in the first cold steel. Oh that's interesting. And you don't feel yeah. you didn't come into this game feeling betrayed like you're not my usual X character. I preferred my other white mage kind of situation. No, no, because the new characters are pretty useful at what they do, and uh, you still get to play with the old Class 7 um, different members in each chapter, so uh, it it felt balanced. Like, I think the thing that they did the best about the game is they, they don't make it feel like one class is being uh, um, prioritized at the expense of the other. Like, they all get some time to to show up and develop and, and, and whatnot, and then, you know... You're left feeling like, well, it's not like we traded old Class 7 for new Class 7. We just kind of expanded Class 7 into old and new. Well, that's good. That's very smart of them. Well, to that being said, uh, this brings us to relatively our final moments of the uh, this entire epic three-part podcast with uh, the doling out of the overall Game of the Year of 2019 award. Uh, it's... Uh, I don't know. It comes as no surprise considering how highly everyone has spoken of it. And it's, but it is interesting that this amazing MMORPG that is Final Fantasy XIV and its new expansion Shadowbringers was able to beat out so many standalone experiences for being just the best all-around RPG of the year. Uh, I mean, one need only listen to the numerous podcasts that I have asked Caitlin. So what's going on in Final Fantasy XIV to find out why it's so great and. Um, and yeah, just uh, your continued passion for it, Caitlin, is infectious, and everybody else Aww. around you who talks about it as well. Like it's, but it's not a hard game to speak up about, right? Like it's, it's, it, you just look at it and you can see what it, all of its virtues, and the fact that they've continued it, its level of quality is amazing from where it started, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, from one point especially. Yeah, like this is, um. Every time that we hear about another game that flops, um, like, I don't know, recent recent uh, 2019 games like Anthem come to mind, um, I always wonder... was great. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I say nothing because I've said more than enough. <laughs> but I always wonder, like, you know, I guess the cynic in me is like, you know, that's it. It's just bad. It's not going to come back. But I think 14 is an example of how you can take something that was a huge flop uh, when it first launched and you can reforge it into something new that is not only better than it was before, but, you know, is actually excels at its genre and, you know, puts even other games from, you know, related genres to shame a little bit. 
Um, so, I mean, like, I guess that means there's hope for stuff like Anthem and Fallout 76, maybe. But also, I feel like it's partly because of the team at Square Enix that, Na- that Naoki Yoshida is leading that is just dedicated to this game. And it's in large part due to Naoki Yoshida himself, um, who I am like... I love the dude, and I'm I'm always very happy to hear about you know uh, him his his professional career within Square Enix, and he's absolutely getting the due that he deserves for you know revitalizing this game that now has won for the second time here at RPG Fan the overall uh, Game of the Year award, and uh, it's the first time that it's happened since I've been working here at the site, and I was I think I mentioned in the last episode I was super happy that it won this because, you know, a lot there, there have been multiple years where like, you know, while there are other games that I enjoyed too, Final Fantasy 14 just kind of still stands out as like one of those best overall experiences. And it's kind of amazing to think that an MMO beat out a bunch of other single player RPGs, especially with lots of, you know, heavy hitters coming out in 2019. So well, yeah, and our runner-up, The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3, is no exception to that being a standalone end of, a, or almost an end. It's, it's getting near the end of a trilogy, but like it's been this story arc that has been building up for so long. And I guess similarly, 14 has too. But it's, yeah, it's it's designed to be its own experience, and, and it's got a lot of awards in our overall different categories, right? And still, mm-hmm. 14 brought it home with Shadowbringers. Yeah. And it's a series that I'm going to guess it's like we've gotten a pretty much an annual uh, major release from 14, haven't we now? Well, there's uh, the patch cycle is generally once every three months. The expansions are every two years. Right. So we will likely be getting a different winner at the end of 2020. But 2021, we'll see if Final Fantasy 14 can reclaim its throne. Yeah, we'll see uh, what 6.0 brings. Right. But uh that is reason enough to to make myself and uh, Jono both pine for time to play 14 hmm. is just watching it yet again take the win. I'd be interested to see it's six how it's 6 years old now? Yes. I'd be curious, uh, from from Realm Reborn. Yes. From Realm Reborn. I would be interested to see if they would I mean obviously it's a success they keep putting incredible content out. I'd be interested to see if they at any point will put out a uh, a major uh uh, not not a patch, but just like a, a basically bring it up to the next level in terms of uh, its like an graphics. Engine upgrade, and, yeah, just give it an engine upgrade as well as the usual patches, um, because it seems like it has the legs to keep running for a lot longer than uh, six years, and by the two years from now, it'll be eight years. It's gonna give wow runs for its money for sure. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's you know. The thing is, I don't. It, they still have to allow it to run on PC, and the question is going to be like, at what point do they cut off? They they will. I mean, the 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 minimum requirements, you know, generally even in fourteen are going to go up over time. Um, but I don't know necessarily how much of a drastic update they they would do to the engine. Um, uh, we'd, we'd have to, we'd have to see if that would be something that they would want to do in fourteen, or if they would want to wait and 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 do a, an engine update, uh, like, a, like a major overhaul engine update for like uh, the successor to Final Fantasy fourteen, hmm. what whichever number Final Fantasy that ends up being. We know that Yoshida's working on something. Yes, 
And yeah, will that be we'll 16 see. as an MMORPGs or 17 or 11.2? I don't know. <laughs> Either way, like the testament of this game that it was basically Final like... Final Fantasy 11.2. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, either way, it's a testament to this. Yeah, this entire game, as you said, Caitlin, and it's it's, it's is a I guess a glimmer of hope for other failed games, so to speak. But just I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I, I think this is really. It's not just my opinions about seventy uh, Fallout seventy six or Anthem. I mean, this was Final Fantasy is their crown jewel. It's a point of pride, and as I understand it, when they first released this game, it was not good. The fact that they put the amount of resources they did behind it to make it into what it is today is uh it's 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 astounding but i can't really imagine like bethesda doing that even though they probably should yeah not everybody can get away with burning the house and keeping the foundation and just building on that foundation oh yeah by like by like bioware says they're gonna do something with anthem but i feel like it's too late yeah same with 76 they're releasing uh wastelanders which is going to be introducing npcs into the game and make it more like a traditional uh single player uh fallout but even then i think it's i just think it's dead i wish it wasn't but i do and i can't see unless there was like a sincere let's shut it all down let's rebuild it from the ground up like they did with 14 i I can't see it surviving the fact that 14 did that and is as good as it is is nothing short of a miracle yeah it feels kind of like it's unprecedented i don't know that i can think of an example of another game that failed so spectacularly upon its release and then rebranded itself reworked itself into something you know that's been as success so like runaway successful really as final fantasy 14 has been i'm still holding out hope for kingdoms of amalur online Oh Someone boy! Bring that back, please do. Oh boy, that's oh that brings back memories. <laughs> right, it was just a good game, but then yeah, that was just poor company management, not necessarily game management. At any rate, uh, yeah, the runner-up being the Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel Three. I mean, the fact that um, was it Trails of Cold Steel Three specifically, Caitlin, that motivated you to just be like, I'm going through this whole series this year to get up to speed for this. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the fact that this title alone just being teased and then previews as we get more information and everything was enough for you to go, I need to be where I need to be when that launches day one. And then you committed hardcore to ramping through it for us for review. Um, it's, it's a stellar game from the looks of it, from a, the amount of awards won here on our uh, feature this year. And uh, everyone who is on the team has spoken very highly of it. And I, I'm the same boat as you. Like I want to go back through the whole series now, just so I know what's going on when I get here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it will be coming back to that. That tricky thing is like, should we recommend people play this game who haven't played other games in the series? But like, you can. I think having played, you know, the previous games in the series, it'll be a richer experience. It won't necessarily be like you can't enjoy it without playing them. But I definitely think that I was able to. I I, I picked up on things that I I know I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Uh, known about if i hadn't played the older games in the series and it's just like this is kind of where the threads kind of come together and start to intertwine a little bit uh from all the different previous arcs um and that's that i mean that alone in a, in a long-running series like that is kind of amazing like to think that a game that's like this is this is um what this is this is game number eight out yeah, of kind of, i think that's what it was yeah yeah, this is the eighth game out of right now currently nine games released, but we're getting uh, we're getting game number ten uh, in Japan uh, this year. Um, like 
what? And they all this thread together not is happen. incredible. Yeah, there's not yeah. many other series out there that do the same thing. Yeah. And it's it's really neat to see the commitment to how that all works together from this entire series to getting where we are. So it's Yeah. Yeah, it's no wonder this game was a close runner up. <laughs> I only regret that doing that meant that I wasn't able to play a bunch of other games that came out, you know, when they came out, like like Three Houses. Like I would have I would have started playing Three Houses Day One if I wasn't in the middle of that series replay through. So You had a lot more thoughts in this uh, whole entire feature beyond just a couple games. Thanks, Trails. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for, for being, being so awesome good. <laughs> exactly. and long. Exactly. Uh, well, that being said, both fantastic games, whatever your speed, right? Like, it's great that you have a, you know you have a stellar MMORPG walking to walk into if that's what you want. But most people who are playing 14 are have been playing it for years. And alternatively, we have a great traditional RPG up there and a lot of other wonderful titles on the list. Um, what I found interesting now that we've got our feature up and live is how much of the reader's choice was very much in tune with, uh, our staff decisions as well. Like there was really not a single upset. The, the only various differences were maybe the winner and the runner up were swapped in a few cases. Um, and, uh, the only, I guess, thing was, uh, the winners weren't, or readers weren't as much a fan of, um, Wargroove as myself and Jono were. Per, per se, but uh, that's not to say anything uh, bad because Fell's Seal, Arbiter's Mark was a fantastic looking game as well. So the fact that all three got a solid shout out is great. But uh, overall, uh, everyone who's listening, thank you so much for contributing to our uh, Reader's Rewards. Reader's Rewards? Thank you so much for contributing to the Reader Awards and uh, getting your voice out there because it's it's good to know that we have our finger on the pulse, so to speak. And that you all have good taste. You can all keep reading. Keep coming back to the site. We'll keep you. Uh, although, <laughs> was it someone? There was one person, right, who voted for East 9 to be the <laughs> overall game of the year. Uh, Wait, really? Yes. It's at the very end of our article. Uh, and as they said, uh, be patient. There's always next year. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a need to see... Um, but yeah, Trails of Cold Steel was up there, Fire Emblem Here, Three Houses was up there, and uh, Disco Elysium, I think, was the second runner-up. I'm not sure if they, I think they tied. Um, or no, it was just close behind. It was a distant third. So not as many players of Final Fantasy XIV, I guess, but as far as standalone RPGs, all three of those are fantastic titles, as we've seen throughout this entire uh, thing. Uh, to finally wrap up the podcast, everybody, I had social media kind of reach out just to kind of hear what people were playing throughout the year. We didn't get huge response, but I do want to still give a shout out to the people who uh, did offer us some uh, insight into what they were playing throughout the year. Um, and one comes from uh, Daniel Smith, who uh, was telling us on Facebook that he picked up uh, a bunch of cheap uh, RPGs that were basically on special, I'm guessing over like Steam sales and such. Uh, he had Rogue Legacy, which uh, John and I already said, fantastic game. Ooh, so good. Yeah, and Cave Story and Child of Light, and which is one I need to go back to as well. And he just found them all pleasantly surprising. And then uh, it agrees that uh, the Tales series has been solid in the last several years. And, well, Daniel Smith, you're going to get some more. So thanks so much for reaching out to us about that. And we also uh, heard from Christopher Flores, uh, who is going to be in good company with Caitlin, by saying that uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was their favorite uh game of 2019 i guess their favorite discovery or thing that they played this yes. past year yes yes i started at the beginning of 2019 back when i was like i have time i can play this and then more and more things started dogpiling on top and i 
haven't been able to get back to it. But um, yeah, they thought it would be a contender definitely for uh, a game of the year against uh, Breath of the Wild. And they're both very similar in their ways, but different in a lot of meaningful ways as well, right? Um, it was my game of the year for 2017. Yeah. It was. It's a fantastic game, and I'm just sad I haven't gotten back to it yet. But like, oh, just the storytelling even is fantastic. Not just the gameplay and how big and beautiful that world is. Just the storytelling is quite fantastic and is the one thing that does sit it, I would say, above Zelda in many ways. But Zelda's exploration and the how um, accessible the combat is and everything is probably what kind of nudges it out a bit in some ways because it's definitely a lot more technical. Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. I would say. And Michelle Venez uh, gave her favorite thing to uh, Luigi's Mansion 3, which I really want to play. Gwen got it for Christmas at her dad's house, and I keep poking at her and be like, bring it over. I want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm um, hoping once they've had their, their run of it and have gotten tired of it or whatever, she'll bring it over and we can uh, we can all hunt some ghosts together. Because uh, I definitely splurged just before the holidays and got us another pair of Joy-Cons, so now we can have some four-player and uh, between the three of us, three-player experiences now. So that's one of them. the reasons I wanted it was for that game, so uh she got that from santa claus along with uh, Link's awakening so we got some fun new games to play Ooh. uh and Ooh, the last she must have been very nice then she's a pretty good kid she's pretty cool uh i mean <laughs> jono already in uh episode part one of this whole feature was complimenting her taste in video games so that alone warrants that she should get good games um but that being said our final shout out i'm going to send off to jacob irving congratulations on your beautiful 10 pound nine ounce baby that you had uh who he named uh everyone i don't know if everyone was following on facebook but he named his baby jack edward daniel irving take a moment and think of those initials jack edward oh gosh oh my gosh it was definitely purposeful that that is top tier so jacob thank (laughs) you so much that is a star wars (laughs) fan right there yes sir Thank you so much for listening and sharing that. That's that's delightful. Everybody, thank you for contributing uh, what you could. And everybody else who didn't, give us some more thoughts. Uh, I love hearing from the readers and uh, the listeners and everybody else who partakes of uh, things that RPG fan. We would not be here for this long without any of you contributing to uh, our success <laughs> in one way or the other, right? So uh, someone keeps the lights on. At any rate, uh, everybody, thank you for toughing this feature out with me. We This was a, a very marathon yeah, of, of, of podcasting. It really was. I haven't was. podcasted this much in a week, in a while. And Caitlin, you're a trooper <laughs> for doing three in the entire weekend. I think weekend. this is the most I've done in, in a week in, like, ever. Yeah, we, uh, we'll pour one out for Tyler. We lost him to, uh, to uh, podcast fatigue. I feel like at the beginning of this one, you should have, like, last time on Random Encounter. <laughs> Previously on a very special random encounter. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, I kind of almost do that, but no, we're, it's about the games. We're getting into it, and it's, we're running long as it is. But we got through it, everybody. We got through all of our categories. We shared thoughts. We laughed. We probably didn't cry, but maybe we died a little inside about something winning over something else. I don't know. Were well, there any through, great get- upsets for you, Peter, this year? Should Should there have been more wins for... Kingdom Hearts, because the fans were on your side when it came to best supporting character. They thought Aqua was ace. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no. I'm 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 pretty happy with the category choices. I'm uh, I'm not expecting everybody to be on my extremely specific wavelength. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was stiff competition this year. 
I'm not going to lie. Uh, Jono, any upsets for you? Anything that you felt like was snubbed and should have been on this list? Uh, not particularly. I'm, I think that 2019 was a fantastic year for video games, and I am extremely happy the year is over. <laughs> You're right. And now who knows what 2020 is going to dump on us, because we got a busy opening quarter coming up as it is. Oh my god, the first half of this year is ridiculous! Especially if that rumor about Xenoblade Chronicles is true and it's coming out in May, like, what? It's it's already ridiculous and just more keeps getting dumped on the pile. And we haven't even hit E3 yet. And we don't necessarily know about, like, the second half of the year. What if the second half of the year is just as bad? Right? I mean, like, good, but but bad. Yeah, bad as far as choice paralysis. (laughs) Uh, was there any upsets for you, Caitlin? I mean, I feel like this entire awards, uh, especially once we got you on, was very much catered to your niche. Yeah, I don't think there's much for me to be complaining about, considering how much Final Fantasy XIV won and Cold Steel won a bunch of stuff, too. Like, this is definitely not a repeat of 2015 or 2017, where I thought that the games that deserved the awards got swept under the, under the rug. So, like, I'm happy. You were the James Cameron of this year, just just getting up continuously for Titanic. Just, <laughs> every like single award. On behalf of these developers? Yes. Jim Cameron. Gotcha. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because as much as you're complaining, Caitlin, about the fact that you didn't get to play as many of 2019's greatest hits, the fact is you the, the, the few that you did were among some of the best games of the year. So it's a very fortunate uh, problem to have. I clearly picked the the right games to actually play that were from 2019. Like out of all the ones that I could have, I picked the right ones. Yeah, you uh, you dodged some some very big bullets. There's a reason I didn't nominate, uh, you know, uh, Citizens of Space. <laughs> Although could have oh. won for like my uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, most buggy game I ever played. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something about caution. Enemies are approaching. Oh, just wait till you listen to last episode. <laughs> <laughs> You were there. You know what happened. Yes. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you over the sound of the enemy approaching. Right? At any rate. Yeah, there's uh, definitely some some big garbage fires. Uh, I mean, Donna, did you do any, like, did any of us do individual awards as well over in that category? Yeah, I did one. Um, Actually, I I really narrowed it down. I didn't do a list. I just looked at, well, Wargroove. Um, Because genuinely, (laughs) genuinely, that's my game of the year. I, uh, it's not the best. Best Wargroove. Wargroove. It's not the best game I've played this year. It's not the best reviewed game I've played this year, but it is the one that I enjoyed the most. And it's the one I had the most fun playing. And I think that's, that's kind of what good. it boils down to for what I feel my personal game of the year should be. Did you have like Fallout 76's biggest garbage fire? That was last year. That was that was November 2018. Oh, that was the first game I ever reviewed for the site, and that was quite a Ooh. That was I was worried about that one. Is that the hallmark of a really bad game that it actually feels like it came out more recently than it did. Like it hasn't oh. really had time to, to improve. Unfortunately, well, it, it's not that it, it's not just that it doesn't have time to improve. It's just that it keeps getting worse. And there's like <laughs> it, just when you think that Bethesda can't possibly screw up again, it's like it's what did I say? Was it last episode? It's like the theme from Benny Hill, except the theme from Benny Hill is run out and the game is yeah. still going. It's like uh, global warming. Yeah. After a while, after a while, it just stopped being funny. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> That's anymore. the thing. It's you. You can't punch up anymore. It's just going to get punched out. No, I genuinely feel sorry for the people who are for the communities who play that game because, as, as I understand it, there are some really uh, amazing communities that play uh, Fallout seventy six, and they are stuck with this game that just keeps 
getting worse and weirder and buggier and getting hacked, and it's it's really a shame. I wish they had a better game to play. <laughs> well, all the power to them for making something out of it for themselves, I guess. But uh, there are better games to play. We've got Final Fantasy XIV as our winner. We've got Cold Steel Three as our runner-up. We've got a whole list of fantastically written uh, blurbs about all these games in our entire 2019 Game of the Year Award feature. So if you're hard up for something to play and you missed out on some of the gems from last year, check out the feature. It's got everything in it that you need to know to say, I'm going to like this or I really, nope, not for me, which is basically what this entire podcast series has been about. Some people have played them, some people haven't. Some people are Tyler, who admits he's good at nothing but traditional RPGs. He's not here to defend himself. I'm terrible. I'm kidding. I love you, Tyler. Um, are, are you? Are you? Are you also a goose? Honk. Are you? Honk. Are you a terrible goose? I am not. Although Gwen says I should play that constantly. Yes, you should. I do want to, uh, and then, thankfully the goose gave our logo back by the end of this feature, so that's good. <laughs> that was the best thing about this holiday season was the goose trying to steal our logo untitled rpg fan site that was us for a while or unlogoed rpg fan site there we go stupid goose the goose will return i'm really curious actually to see where that goose crops up throughout the rest of the year It'd be pretty great at any rate, everybody, thank you for coming along on this uh, wonderful ride that was this podcast, both everybody here with me on the panel and uh, all the uh, listeners who have trucked it out. Hope you enjoyed our expanded thoughts on this entire feature. Uh, as always, you can go check out Retro Encounter. They had their own end of the year wrap up chit chat, and you can find that through this 2019 Game of the Year feature and all three episodes of this uh, entire um Random Encounter Legacy of 178, 79, and 180. The trilogy. Exactly. Rhythm Encounter, still a thing. I mean, I would love to say that we are reviving it with talking about Music of the Year, but we are not. But we do have a Music of the Year feature that you can read about as well. And it's got a humongously amazing collection of music I was happy to write for and listen for. And we had a good year of music as well. Some great games put out some fantastic soundtracks this year. And we had some great rearrangements and orchestrations and stuff. Uh, was it Derek Heemsbergen just uh, was tweeting about the fact that he went to go to the Undertale live concert, which would be amazing. And I really hope that tour is out here because that would blow Gwen's mind. So the fact that like... That'd be pretty awesome. The fact that we're getting more of this stuff every year is just fantastic. Like it's getting into our homes so much easier as uh, <laughs> the geek generation grows older and has kids and starts having more say in the world, I guess. <laughs> Either way, podcast at RPGfan.com if you want to email me uh, more thoughts to share. We also uh, have our RPG fan com on our social media, and you can message us on Facebook. You can find us pretty much anywhere by searching RPGFan.com. And all your news, reviews, and more are over at the website proper. Thank you so much for listening. You three, thank you so much for being here. Tyler, also thank you so much for being on this as well. And one final shout-out to Zach for organizing this entire feature. Everybody, thank you so much. Have a good 2020. Woo! Yay! There it is. Boop. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, this will be okay. episode 180, part three of the Game of the Year Awards with Caitlin and Peter, and we've got John O back. Okay. Let's just do this. There, that was the intro. Sounded good, right? That sounded sound great to me. <laughs> right? Yeah, sells it. This is, this is laid back encounter. <laughs> exactly. For on part three, who cares anymore? <laughs> it's, it's been a weekend. <laughs> Caitlin's recorded like three podcasts by now. <laughs> We're yes. all allowed to phone it in. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!